1: access brokers phishing facilitates ransomware 3am is fallback malware cross-site scripting vulnerabilities are reported in apache services u.s agencies warn organizations to be alert for deep the u.s department of defense publishes its 2023 cyber strategy and johnson from the afternoon cyber tea podcast speaks with jenny radcliffe about the rise in social engineering deep and from zscaler shares a technical analysis of bandit stealer And a quick reminder, yesterday was Patch Tuesday. I'm Dave Bittner with your CyberWire Intel briefing for Wednesday, September 13th, 2023. A Microsoft report outlines a criminal access broker that sends phishing lures through Microsoft Teams messages. The threat actor, which Microsoft tracks as Storm0324, distributes a variety of malware strains, but primarily focuses on delivering JSS Loader before handing over access to the Sangria Tempest ransomware actor, also known as Fin7. Microsoft explains... Storm 0324's email themes typically reference invoices and payments, mimicking services such as DocuSign, QuickBooks, and others. Users are ultimately redirected to a SharePoint-hosted compressed file containing JavaScript that downloads the malicious DLL payload. Storm 0324 is financially motivated, straightforwardly criminal, but its attack methods show considerable sophistication. Microsoft states... The actors' email chains are highly evasive, making use of traffic distribution systems like BlackTDS and Kaitaro, which provide identification and filtering capabilities to tailor user traffic. This filtering capability allows attackers to evade detection by certain IP ranges that might be security solutions like malware sandboxes, while also successfully redirecting victims to their malicious download site. In full disclosure, we note that Microsoft is a CyberWire partner. The Symantec Threat Hunter team describes a new ransomware family called 3AM. So far, the ransomware has only been used in a limited fashion, and Symantec's researchers have seen it used in a single attack by a ransomware affiliate that attempted to deploy Lockbit on a target's network and then switch to 3AM when Lockbit was blocked. In this attack, Symantec notes... The use of 3AM was only partially successful. The attackers only managed to deploy it to three machines on the organization's network, and it was blocked on two of those three computers. The researchers add, however, that the fact that 3AM was used as a fallback by a Lockbit affiliate suggests that it may be of interest to attackers and could be seen again in the future. So, it seems, even the crooks need a fallback sometimes. Researchers at Orca discovered eight cross-site scripting vulnerabilities affecting several Apache services on Azure HD Insight. The vulnerabilities could be exploited to perform unauthorized actions, varying from data access to session hijacking and delivering malicious payloads. Orca notes, all XSS vulnerabilities posed significant security risks to data integrity and user privacy in the vulnerable Apache services including session hijacking and delivering malicious payloads, putting any user of the Apache services at risk, including Apache Hadoop, Spark, and Uzi. Microsoft issued patches for the flaws back on August 8th. NSA, CISA, and the FBI have issued a cybersecurity information sheet contextualizing deepfake threats to organizations, intended to lay out the nature of the family of technologies loosely grouped as deepfake technologies. These include sophisticated video and image manipulation, as well as text generated by artificial intelligence systems through large language models. The tone of the warning is prospective rather than immediate, the advisory says. As with many technologies, synthetic media techniques can be used for both positive and malicious purposes, While there are limited indications of significant use of synthetic media techniques by malicious state-sponsored actors, the increasing availability and efficiency of synthetic media techniques available to less capable malicious cyber actors indicate these types of techniques will likely increase in frequency and sophistication. Defensive measures remain works in progress, but the three agencies offer some suggestions for organizations beginning to prepare themselves for this particular form of disinformation. Deceptive use of AI is also receiving some congressional attention. Reuters reports that a measure to limit AI's exploitation in political campaigns has been introduced in the U.S. Senate. The sponsors, Senators Klobuchar, Coons, Hawley, and Collins, said, this bill would prohibit the distribution of materially deceptive AI-generated audio, images, or video relating to federal candidates in political ads or certain issue ads to influence a federal election or fundraise. The U.S. Department of Defense has sent its 2023 cyber strategy to Congress and made an unclassified version available to the public. Assistant Secretary of Defense for Space Policy John Plum said, This strategy draws on lessons learned from years of conducting cyber operations, and our close observations of how cyber has been used in the Russia-Ukraine war. It has driven home the need to work closely with our allies, partners, and industry to make sure we have the right cyber capabilities, cyber security, and cyber resilience to help deter conflict and to fight and win if deterrence fails. The strategy outlines what it calls four complementary lines of effort. First, defend the nation— Second, prepare to fight and win the nation's wars. Three, protect the cyber domain with allies and partners. And fourth, build enduring advantages in cyberspace. The strategy says, In Russia's war on Ukraine, Russian military and intelligence units have employed a range of cyber capabilities to support kinetic operations and defend Russian actions through a global propaganda campaign. Russia has repeatedly used cyber means in its attempts to disrupt Ukrainian military logistics, sabotage civilian infrastructure, and erode political will. To be sure, the Russian cyber campaign has fallen well short of expectations, but that's no accident, the Department of Defense says. The Russians faced effective collaborative opposition. The strategy notes, while these efforts have yielded limited results, this is due largely to the resilience of Ukrainian networks, In a moment of crisis, Russia is prepared to launch similar cyber attacks against the United States and our allies and partners. The strategy also notes that deterrence in cyberspace requires that cyber capabilities be integrated with other capabilities and operations, that cyber operations deter best when they're integrated as combat support and when they're accompanied by other measures, presumably including non-military, legal, and economic action. The report states... Experiences have shown that cyber capabilities held in reserve or employed in isolation render little deterrent effect on their own. Instead, these military capabilities are most effective when used in concert with other instruments of national power, creating a deterrent greater than the sum of its parts. So, cyber deterrence isn't like nuclear deterrence, where simply having the capability serves to dissuade the adversary— Cyber deterrence works when it's integrated with hard kinetic power, soft diplomatic power, and just right legal and economic power. Just saying, Trust me, pal, I got a zero day with your name on it doesn't cut it, even when you've really got that zero day. And finally, a reminder yesterday was September's Patch Tuesday. Microsoft addressed 61 numbered vulnerabilities, SAP issued 18 patches and Adobe fixed issues in Acrobat and Reader, Experience Manager, and Connect. Admins, users, sisters, brothers, cousins, and aunts, review your systems and, as CISA would say, apply updates per vendor instructions. Coming up after the break, Ann Johnson from the Afternoon Cyber Tea Podcast speaks with Jenny Radcliffe about the rise in social engineering. Deepin Desai from Zscaler shares a technical analysis of Bandit Stealer. Stay with us. Ann Johnson is the host of the Afternoon Cyber Tea podcast from Microsoft. And in this excerpt from a recent episode, she speaks with Jenny Radcliffe about the rise in social engineering.
0: Today, I'm joined by Jenny Radcliffe, better known in some circles as the people hacker. Jenny is an ethical social engineer, a people hacker, hired to smash security measures using psychology, carnardistry, subliminal linguistics, cunning, and guile. Jenny has led simulated cyber criminal attacks on businesses of all types and sizes, running crews with varied ex- expertise and experience to help secure client sites and information from malicious attacks. She is the go-to expert on the human element of security, scams, and social engineering, and is also host of the award-winning podcast, The Human Factor. Welcome to Afternoon Cyber Tea,
2: Jenny. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to be here.
0: So, can you start by talking, you know, a layperson's terms, right? Someone who's not a security professional, the description of a social engineer, an ethical hacker, and tell us how you found your way into this interesting career and to the ethical side of hacking and the ethical side of social engineering.
2: Yeah, I mean, you know, people hacker is still a hacker, right? And I think people always think of hackers. We use that term interchangeably with criminal a lot of the time, and that's not always the case, as you say you know, ethical hackers play a huge part in defense. And social engineering is really, it's another kind of misnomer for people because what it does is it tests security systems without using technology, okay? Or rather kind of aligned with technology. So I'm all about working on psychology of what people think and what we can get people to do, what we can persuade, manipulate, people to do and that always sounds very negative but I always say to people think of it kind of like a fire test you know like a fire drill sort of a cross between that and, and a kind of really sort of scummy version of what Ocean's 11 where not everyone's quite that good looking but and so yes yeah, so that's what we do so I'm hired by organizations and high net worth individuals to attempt to break their security through psychology, essentially, through, through conversation, through sort of human uh, characteristics.
0: Do you find that
2: the strategies and
0: tactics used in the physical world are the same as the cyber world? And do cyber social engineers and criminals have a distinctly unique approach?
2: No, you know, not on my side of it. Like the tactics are the same. You know, it's still always kind of looking for that human connection, looking to sort of try and exploit what someone would forget. I mean, we we look at that, we look at the system holistically, okay? So it's not that you can actually, in many ways, separate the physical and the cyber when it comes to attack. I think that's something that the security industry do a lot. And from a criminal perspective, and, you know, again, I'm ethical, but I wear a criminal hat. We just look at the system holistically. So, for example, I've never... Being a technical hacker, I have lots of friends who are brilliant hackers, technically, and they've taught me one or two things, but I've never looked at it that way. However, of course, as soon as cyber comes online and systems are relying more and more on um, technology, we just incorporate that into the mix. It's the same. It's still just looking for a weakness
0: We've talked a lot about individuals and things to look out for, but do you have any other tips before we move into uh, our typical clothes? Anything else for people as an individual, not necessarily a company that they should be looking out for?
2: Just out of context things, you know. It's like I always say emotion, urgency, call to action, money. But really the thing is if if something is just being, if you're being asked to do something that's just not usual, especially if it's emotional, especially if it's about money or getting around procedure. Just be more suspicious. And, you know, this is a horrible thing because people say, oh, but but it's awful that we have to be suspicious. You sound paranoid, but, you know, it kind of takes some of the enjoyment out of life. And the truth is we need to be honest with people. Yes, it does. It does stop us all enjoying life. You know, if, If scammers and social engineers, malicious social engineers and criminals were not present, the world would be a much happier, more harmonious place. But I'm sick and tired of this industry being so afraid of frightening people that we stop being direct. Treat them like grown-ups and say, if something feels off, check it before you click. And that does mean, unfortunately that we've got to be more suspicious than we'd like that is that is reality that is the life there's a lot of things trying to help there to help there's a technology and people trying to help you but the bottom line is we do need to be more suspicious
1: That's Ann Johnson from Microsoft speaking with Jenny Radcliffe. You can hear the entire Afternoon Cyber Tea podcast episode on our website, thecyberwire.com. joining me once again is Deepin Desai. He is the global CISO and head of security research and operations at Zscaler. Uh, Deepin, it's always great to welcome you back. Uh, you and your colleagues recently published some research here looking at uh, Bandit Stealer. What can you share about this uh, this group here?
3: Yeah, thank you, Dave. So the Zscaler Threat Labs team, as part of our global threat landscape tracking activity, uh, tracks several different malware families and There is a specific focus on information-stealing Trojans, and we do keep an eye out for any new uh, family strains on the block as well. So Bandit Stealer actually is something that the team saw emerge in April of 2023. It's a new information stealer. It collects sensitive information from victims' uh, machine upon successful attack, and the information includes things like Cookie save login data, credit card information from several supported web browsers. We also saw it uh, look for popular FTP clients and email clients installed on the endpoints. And, and uh, of course, the goal over there is again to exfiltrate information uh, that those applications have access to. Another functionality we saw over here was bandit stealer will also target cryptocurrency wallet applications uh, they're, they're basically looking to steal those cryptocurrency wallets as well
1: hmm and how does one find themselves uh, a target of bandit this does show up in you know the phishing attacks uh,
3: that you see commonly in hmm. this case they're they're not going after specific groups, at least not something that we saw in our analysis. This is where they will target users who will (laughs) click on things, um, resulting in pirated software or resulting in those fake updates getting downloaded. Once the payload is on the system, that's where the whole behavior starts, where to look for specific browsers, there's more than a dozen different cryptocurrency wallets that they will look after, FTP applications and the likes.
1: Huh. Now, you note in the research here that uh, they're, they're attempting to be fairly stealthy in, in terms of evading uh, virtual environments and detection? Yes. So they do
3: have specific module where the goal over there is to flag security researchers doing analysis on virtual machines or even automated sandbox-based analysis where um, you know, these payloads will get flagged. So they do have detections for those environments. They will also look at whether the parent process, and, and I'm kind of going geeky over you right now, but <laughs> the process that actually invokes uh, the malware payload is what it expects it, it is to be, right? And it's not actually running under some sandboxing process. So again, the goal over here is to stay undetected and make sure uh, they're able to persist in the victim environment for as long as possible without being detected by any of these security applications. One one additional thing I'll call out over here is they, <laughs> and this is very, very old school. We actually saw it managing huge blacklist of IP addresses, right? And these are <laughs> IP addresses belonging to antivirus companies, uh, security sandboxes, and things of that nature. So you guys could look at it in the blog as well. We've actually called it out. Uh, there's IP addresses that are blacklisted. There are MAC addresses that are blacklisted. There are user names, um, that are blacklisted, which are commonly associated with this uh, sandboxing environments. And they go down to the level of process names and PC names as well. Interesting.
1: Also noteworthy that uh, this is written in the Go programming language. It seems like that's, uh, that's been a trend lately, yes? Yeah, Go and then we're also seeing Rust uh, being heavily
3: used uh, by cyber criminals.
1: All right. Well, Deepin Desai is the global CISO and head of security research and operations at Zscaler. Uh, the research we're discussing today is technical analysis of Bandit Stealer. Deepin, thank you so much for joining us. Visit vanta.com slash cyber to take a self-serve tour. That's vanta.com slash cyber and that's the Cyberwire. For links to all of today's stories, check out our daily briefing at the Cyberwire.com. We'd love to know what you think of this podcast. You can email us at cyberwire at n2k.com. Your feedback helps us ensure we're delivering the information and insights that help keep you a step ahead in the rapidly changing world of cybersecurity. We're privileged that N2K and podcasts like The Cyberwire are part of the daily intelligence routine of many of the most influential leaders and operators in the public and private sector, as well as the critical security teams supporting the Fortune 500 and many of the world's preeminent intelligence and law enforcement agencies. n 2 k strategic workforce intelligence optimizes the value of your biggest investment, your people. We make you smarter about your team while making your team smarter. Learn more at n2k.com. This episode was produced by Liz Urban and senior producer Jennifer Ivan. Our mixer is Trey Hester with original music by Elliot Peltzman. The show was written by John Petrick. Our executive editor is Peter Kilpie and I'm Dave Fittner. Thanks for listening. We'll see you back here tomorrow.